Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Uh, praise the Lord. Good morning, church. And uh, it is uh, good to see everyone again on this Sunday morning. Again, it would be so much better to be able to come together physically, but this is a, a medium in which we can still come together and it serves a wonderful purpose. But it was good on Friday to come together for prayer. And like I said, there was a, a, a good contingent of folk that came out we cried out to the Lord together and just being in that dynamic of, um, of in, in each other's presence, uh, in the presence of God was very encouraging and, um, and, and just edifying. And so we look forward to the day when we can come together in fellowship as a church. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, I want to share with you this morning uh, scripture and uh, I, I must share the inspiration that came behind this because last week, we, um, for those that don't join us uh, until 10 o'clock, we usually have, there are a few people that come on and we have a time of prayer. And um, sometimes, um, as um, Amika did this morning, she uh, shared a short word or spoke a scripture. And last week, actually, Peter Finch, he shared a scripture just prior to the service. And so it, struck, it actually struck me. And um, the particular word that he uh, read out was quickened in my own heart by the Lord and uh, pondered and uh, on for a few days after that as I continued just to meditate upon it. And then it led to obviously the inspiration to minister this morning. And uh, it is found in our text and it's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 24, which we will look at in just a moment. But uh, this particular word that we're going to examine in the Bible, it's not just in this particular text. Actually, this is really just a springboard, but really within the whole context of Scripture because the, the word that we're going to look at has biblical significance and is extremely important in the sight of God. It's a word many a times that we can just read in the Scripture and overlook and not pay too much attention to. But I want to show us this morning that in God's mind and uh, in the word of God itself, the issue uh, of this particular word is, uh, is of extreme importance to God himself. And it's the word, the English word as we know it, it's the word sincerity. And so or to be sincere. And so, um, again, there's a lot of weight given to this in the scriptures. And I, we're going to go through this and I'm going to demonstrate through the Bible just how significant it is. But it's a precious quality of character and it's a disposition of heart before the Lord. And it is something that God sees. It's something that God recognizes. It's something that God takes note of in the individual. It is something that God is looking for. 
And so it's the, the word sincerity of heart and this word to be sincere. And so this morning we're going to, to consider this because Paul the Apostle, he not only mentions it in the text that we're going to look at, but there are other references in his writings in which he emphasizes the issue of sincerity as it relates to the Christian faith and as it relates to the disposition and character of an individual and how important it is in the sight of God. And so, so it is this morning that let it be known that God is looking for those whose hearts are sincere towards him. And so let's look at this particular word and let's look at this particular text as it's found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 24. Uh, Paul is writing, it's actually the last, his last words as he writes uh, to the Ephesians and the church in Ephesus. So his last words are these words. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity amen now think about it because paul's use of the word here is deliberate it is emphatic and uh, and really he says grace be with all those who love our lord jesus now he could have just stopped there he could have just said nothing else after that and that would have been sufficient but yet he's as inspired by god he he adds these words in sincerity because it is crucial it is critical that this aspect or this characteristic is associated with the believer this morning to all those who loves love our lord jesus christ in sincerity you see sincerity here as used by paul in this context is really becoming a condition if you want to use that word or even more so a caveat if you will, in the scripture. And as I looked up the word, just let us define the word a caveat because the word means to qualify with a warning or a clarification. And really, this is exactly what Paul the Apostle is doing. He is making this declaration of God's grace to all those that love the Lord. But the condition or the caveat, the qualifying and the distinguishing factor that he is emphasizing and highlighting is this insincerity. Sincerity is what God is looking for, a sincerity of heart. It's one thing to speak words. It's one thing to say, and uh, one man said this about worship songs. We, but what he says, I forget the exact uh, phrase now, but he says uh, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. And so we can speak about and worship God in our words and in our, our, our voices and as wonderful as it is. But what God is wanting is he's wanting a sincerity of heart. That is what is the distinguishing factor. That is what Paul is saying is the condition to those who will receive the grace of God and those who love Jesus Christ in sincerity. They will receive the fullness of that grace uh, and, and blessing of God upon their lives. So having established that in the text, the question now comes, well, how do we define sincerity? Um, and again, as used in the Bible, the word actually has various Greek um, words that are associated with it. So it's just not a single aspect to it. So we want to look at some of these things as, as highlighted in the scripture. 
but uh, you know, in, in the English sense, we just look at sincerity and we go, well, that person's seer. That means that they say, you know, there's an element of honesty or, uh, you know, there's uh, something about them that's genuine. And that's how we generally understand it in, uh, in, in the English. And, and that is connected to the Greek as it's used. In our text, when Paul uses the word here, insincerity, the word literally means to be incorruptible. That is to be genuine. And so in other words, when we think about this, it's, an, it's a reference to our hearts, that there is no ulterior motives, that there's, no, there's a purity of heart that is genuine. It's not corrupted by impure motives or, or ulterior motives or, as we, as we call it, pretense. The word pretense it actually means the act of pretending and putting on a false display. And so this is what God doesn't like. He doesn't like it when we are insincere, so to speak. The, uh, he doesn't like it when we, uh, our heart is um, mixed with motives and impurities and there's pretense in our heart in the way in which we draw near to him and in the way in which we conduct ourselves with others. And so the issue of insincerity is important. Uh, when God sees this, it's something that he does not like. And so we don't want to be corrupted with, with, with insincerity, with impure motives. But there's also another word that's associated with the word uh, uh, insincere. Uh, and it's the word that is uh, in, the, in the Bible called a hypocrite. Or, in, or uh, it means without hypocrisy, meaning not being a hypocrite. Now, we know again the English word a hypocrite, someone who's pretending to be something that they're not. That's how we understand it. And in the Greek, it is the word hypocrite as well, in the, actually in the Greek. And the exact uh, definition of hypocrite, if you were to understand it from the Greek, it literally means a stage actor, as someone who has assumed a character and is performing uh, and is, a, is, is acting. So, for example, everybody in Hollywood are hypocrites. Now, I'd mean that one in their career and two in the, in the general sense as well, literally uh, as uh, uh, because um, uh, people in Hollywood want to tell us how to live and what's important in life. But they themselves many a times fall into the issue of hip hypocrisy because they say one thing, but live another or they do that when they're acting. That's what acting is. They are playing. They are play acting. They are hypocrites in, in that real sense in that literal sense. And so that's the last thing that the Christian wants to be associated with. We don't want to be characterized by hypocrisy because hypocrisy this morning is something that God despises in the heart of an individual. I mean, you only have to look at the Gospels. You only have to read the Gospels and begin to see where was it that Jesus got angry? Where was it that Jesus re, uh, vehemently rebuked and refuted? Who were those? It was the religious establishment. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the, those that were meant to be representing God. Jesus vehemently rebuked them. And 15 times throughout the Gospels, he calls them hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites. 
and he's very stern and he rebukes them. I mean, he's got time for the sinner. He's got time for the, 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 the woman caught in adultery. He's got time uh, for those that uh, he's come to seek and save those which are lost. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here you have uh, these hypocrites and Jesus uh, attacks them. That's why they vehemently hated him and envied him because he stood up against them and called them what they were. They were play actors. They were insincere. They were, they were, inc they were corrupted in their hearts. And that's why Jesus said to them, you are, you are filled with pretense. You are hypocrites. You are literally actors. And that is, you are not real. You say one thing, but you live another and so god hates this disposition of heart hypocrisy and when you think about it if we were to be honest we could all examine our own hearts and our own lives and in some in some place at some moment in time we've all been guilty of being a hypocrite we've all uh, no doubt at some point in our lives i would assume been insincere i know i have and, uh, and, and these things can characterize us if we are not careful and mindful of our own hearts and the way in which we are to, ought to conduct ourselves and walk worthy before the Lord. But we know that God doesn't like it when he encounters a heart that is insincere. So let's think about this further because I, was, uh, I want to show you this morning two examples in John's Gospel where Jesus encounters this and how Jesus deals with it because this is quite profound and quite revealing and it illustrates further the point that we've just established so turn with me to the gospel of John chapter 2 and in verse 23 you'll find the words now this is Jesus it says now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast many believed in his name when he saw the signs which he did so many believed when they saw the signs in which he did. But look at verse 24. But when, uh, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in men. What did Jesus see? What is it that the scripture is referring to? I mean, these are those that have believed. They saw the signs which Jesus did. And yet there's something on the surface that says, yes, Lord, but yet there's something deeper in the heart that is concerning to Christ to the point where the scripture says he didn't commit himself to them because he knew all men. He knew what was in their hearts and he was seeing something that hindered him from fully committing himself to them. And so this is interesting just to note that because he was the discerner. He was discerning the heart and he was judging the heart and he knew the inner depths of the individual. You know, the truth is, is that God sees all things. The Bible says we are naked before him in Hebrews four. And it talks about the fact that we, the word of God is living and powerful. It, 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 goes deep into our hearts and it exposes us in such ways many a times but you see god sees the inner depths of our heart in actual fact the bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it i the lord search the heart and i test the mind that's in jeremiah and so uh, here you have god he understands what's in our heart 
you know, that many a times we don't even understand the depths of our own hearts. We can deceive others. We can deceive ourselves, but we can never deceive the Lord. And the Lord looks and he sees, and the Bible says that when he, when he encounters in sincerity his reaction, and when, he, when there's pretense in the heart, Jesus does not commit himself. Or in other words, he actually withdraws. Let's see this even further. Go now and turn to a few pages over and go to John chapter 6. This is a very important and interesting chapter in the context of what we are talking about. And so just to give us an understanding here, Jesus is in, at the beginning of chapter six, he's just fed the 5,000 and those that are gathered. And so God in his grace and his mercy is, uh, he's meeting the needs of the people. He's compassionate and so forth, everything that God is. But you see, again, something significant begins to play itself out in this particular chapter. And so look at verse four, uh, 15, actually. Look at verse 15 in John chapter 6. It says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So in other words, he, he, he's observing their reaction to what he has just fed the 5,000. And now all of a sudden they're all saying how wonderful Jesus is. So they want to come and take him by force and make him king. But the Bible says that Jesus observes this and he withdraws himself. He goes off into the mountain by himself because uh, again, he's seeing something in the hearts and this is revealed later as we'll see. And he's, uh, and, and there's pretense that is in their hearts. There's a lack of sincerity that we will identify that's, uh, that's, that's on display. Look at verse 26, because what happens is in this particular chapter, the disciples, uh, they get on a boat at evening and they cross over the sea and they head towards Capernaum. And so in the middle of the night, Jesus comes to them on the walking on the water and he gets in the boat and then they go over together to Capernaum. But the people that have been fed and those that were with uh, Jesus uh, uh, at, uh, um, at um, where was it? the Sea of Tiberias, they had now got all of them or many of them had gotten into boats and they crossed over the Sea of Galilee and they went and visited Capernaum looking for Jesus. Now you think to yourself on face value, oh, what's great. These people, they're so enamored by Jesus. But listen carefully what Jesus said. Uh, actually says to them in verse number 25, uh, five, verse 25 and 26. And it says, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, Jesus doesn't even respond. And in verse 26, he's, the Bible says, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So in other words, the reasons why you guys have come and are looking for me is not because you really want to seek out who I am, but rather you're interested because I just fed your bellies, you got a free meal, and you want to come back and <laughs> you're looking for something else or something more. And so this typifies human nature, let's be honest. And Jesus is identifying it and he's highlighting it and he's judging these, the, this group. And what's also interesting, and again, I can't go through this to a great extent, but I want to just explain it. Jesus then begins to speak to them. 
and he begins to talk to them about being the bread that came down from heaven and how they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And so as he's saying this, they are totally misunderstanding him. And Jesus knows that they don't understand what he's saying. They think that he's speaking literally. They think that they have to literally drink his blood and eat his flesh. And somehow, if they don't do that, they can't uh, be in union with him. But we know later that Jesus debunks that. That's not what he meant. He says the words later, he says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. You must feed off the words of God. And that is his flesh and that is his blood. So there's a context to it. But Jesus knows that they are offended now. He knows that they have misunderstood what he has said to them. But he doesn't seek to justify himself further because the issue is not Jesus. The issue is their own hearts. And Jesus is using this example to expose their heart and to show what's really going on inside of them. And so the Bible talks about that they got offended. Now go to chapter 6 and now look at verse number 60 with me. And we're going to read to verse 66. Now listen to what happens now. Uh, as a result of this saying that Jesus has given them and their misunderstanding, they're offended now. And in verse 60, the Bible says, therefore many of his disciples, listen, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Isn't it interesting that that, that is John chapter 6, verse 66, 666, the spirit of Antichrist. They went out from among us because they were not of us. And here Jesus has just sifted them masterfully. He has exposed the depths of their hearts, the pretense of their hearts. And so isn't it interesting that Jesus uh, exposes their unbelief? But what's more important here is he says in verse 65, I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it has been granted to him. Now note those words. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, is there's all these multitudes. There are many disciples that are around him. They're all professing his name. They're all claiming to be believers even. That's what the scripture says. And yet, God, he's, Jesus says, unless God grants it. In other words, there was something also that, was, that, that, that God has sifted their heart. He had exposed something in their heart that was a fraud that their, their profession of faith was actually false. And that's why he says um, uh, that they went and walked away and went with him no more. And it says that it was in verse 64, Jesus says to them, for there are some of you who do not believe. That was the issue. They claimed to believe. 
They made a profession that they believed in Jesus, but yet when God sifted through their hearts, when God tested their hearts, they were found to be wanting and truly they were unbelieving. They actually did not believe. And this is very significant because it comes back to the issue that we're dealing with. We're talking about a sincerity of heart, true, pure, that our reasons in, 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 in serving the Lord are as they ought to be. And this is what we're identifying uh, uh, in the scripture. So this is important, insincerity. I mean, how often do we see people I've, over the years as a pastor and as, a, uh, and as a, a sharing the gospel, I've observed many a times people come to the Lord and they say, yes, I believe. And, you know, we're kind of, we're excited because they're making that profession of faith, but then only for a few weeks or months later, they just disappear and they turn away. Well, what in that instance, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with a false profession of faith. God has sifted their hearts. He has not granted for them to, to draw near. That's why Jesus says, and actually uh, um, uh, in verse 70 of John 6, he says, did I not choose you? In other words, at the end of the day, it is God who chooses. And there are variables that surround that. But clearly there's an issue that relates to our heart in this instance. And so here's Jesus saying, unless God grants it, they can't come. And so how often people have made, made false professions of faith in the Lord. And we're dealing with this very principle. It's insincerity of heart and it's repulsive to God. But not only in, in, in the biblical sense, we can understand this just from the issues of life. How often have maybe we ourselves have been guilty of it ourselves, uh, playing the fool and playing the actor, being the hypocrite, having ulterior motives. But when we deal with individuals that are insincere and lack that uh, sincerity, it's very frustrating, isn't it? It's very difficult to work with that. Uh, and yet we, so when it comes to God, God is masterful and God knows how to expose the heart. He knows how to test the heart. He knows how to reveal the heart because he knows what's in the heart. And so this is what we're seeing here in the scriptures. See, sincerity this morning is what God is looking for. So let's look at this a little bit further. And I want to show you some examples in the Bible, some scriptures that teach us about sincerity <clears throat> that actually reveal to us certain aspects. And so <clears throat> the first one, actually, we can, we can look at is found in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, and it deals with the issue of communion, that which we partook of this morning. And uh, again, Paul the Apostle, he's writing to the church at, at Corinth and he's dealing with issues of sexual immorality and, and, uh, and other issues amongst the saints there. And it's just, it's, a, it's not a pleasant situation. And therefore, he's addressing also the issue of, of the communion because we know that later, as he writes, there were those that were partaking of the communion in a unworthy manner or they were insincere and therefore the judgment of God was coming upon them and they were falling sick and becoming ill and some were dying. Why? Because God was judging their sincerity of heart in the manner in which they were approaching him. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, He's speaking about the communion and, and, and obviously the Passover and he's making, uh, we don't want to go into the depths of this, but I want to highlight it. In verse eight, he says, therefore, let us keep the feast, 
that is the, the Passover or the communion, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, when we come before the Lord and when we partake in the Lord's communion, it is imperative that our hearts are right before the Lord. Because where there is pretense, where there is wickedness and malice, where there is sin, he uses the word leaven. And leaven, we know in the Bible, is representative of sin. And so don't let leaven characterize your own heart. And in other words, don't let your heart be filled with such sin and insincerity and wickedness and malice and then come to the Lord's table and say, yes, Lord, I love you, and, uh, and worship him when your heart is, is, is corrupted and there's a need for repentance. He says, no, but let it be with the unleavened bread. That's why they would, when they had the Passover for seven days, they had to partake not of leavened bread, but unleavened bread and the removal of sin and so forth. And he uses the word of sincerity. And truth. Sincerity is the quality of heart that God is looking for. You can't disconnect sincerity and truth. They go together. Truth and sincerity. And when there is where there is sincerity, there is truth. Where there's truth, there is sincerity. And so Paul makes this emphasis that we are to partake of the communion with a sincerity of heart and in truth. And so this is important. You know, what's the, the word sincere here in Corinthians is different from the text that we had in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. The word here for sincerity means clearness. And it comes from a root word in the Greek, which, which it actually, let me illustrate it. It talks about the sun's rays and how the sun exposes and how the sun tests. So, for example, the Bible says men love darkness rather than light. Jesus is the light of the world and where the light shines, it penetrate, penetrates the darkness. So, so too, if we are to have sincerity or a clearness of heart to come before the Lord, then we too must allow the light of God's word to shine in our hearts, the light of the spirit to shine in our hearts and search our hearts so that if there is uh, known sin, if there is a sin that needs to be dealt with when our lives are confessed or repented of, then so let it be done because we have to be genuine when we come before the Lord. We must be sincere. And so, again, we get the, the, the clear indication that God, is, God does not like insincerity. He does not like hypocrisy. He does not like pretense of heart. So let's go a little bit further. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3. Now this again is an interesting portion of text. Paul the Apostle is writing again to the Corinthians. He's dealing with false teachers. He's dealing with those that are wanting to corrupt the believers, to deceive them, to uh, confuse them with their false teachings and so forth. And so Paul says some very interesting words in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Let's read it and see what he says. He says, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He uses the word the simplicity. Now, you can read that in, in context, and Paul's talking about the false teachers that are hypocrites, 
and they're filled with pretense. And he's saying, listen, what you must understand is that what God is looking for, he's looking for you to remain in the simplicity of Christ. Don't be weighed down with all the winds of doctrine. Don't be confused by every wind of doctrine, but just understand the simplicity of Christ. Now, that word simplicity in the Greek literally means a singleness of heart or sincerity. So God, Paul is saying that just uh, don't worry uh, uh, about all of these other issues, but rather let your minds be focused on the simplicity or singleness or sincerity of your love for Jesus Christ. Let me read this to you from the Amplified Version, which gives a, a bit of an indication of this. It says, but now I am fearful lest that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, so your minds may be corrupted and seduced from wholehearted and sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. You see, this is what it's all about. It's simple. This is simplicity to Christ. Just love the Lord with all your heart all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Yes, there's the issue of truth that we, is associated with that. But the whole issue, what God is primarily looking for, and don't let yourself be corrupted and beguiled and, and deceived by the enemy with all of these other things. But at the end of the day, what is the purpose of the commandment? The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. Love the Lord. Just love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. That's the motivation behind sincerity. It's love for God. That's why we do what we do, because we love the Lord. Not because we're trying to attain God's favor, not because we're trying to tick the box, not because we're trying to live by law, but because we love him. It's that simple. God wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants the sincerity of your devotion to him. Paul also writes to Timothy. And uh, in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 3, he's Timothy. He's a young pastor. And so Paul is giving him some basic instructions as he embarks on his pastoral ministry for the Lord to the church here at Ephesus. And then he says to him in chapter one, verse three, he says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment, is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from sincere faith, from which some having strayed have turned aside. You see, it's about sincerity of heart, a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith. Sincere faith. Again, this word now, sincere, is, is, a, is, a to, is attached to the fact that we are to be without hypocrisy. Don't play Christianity. How many people in churches play Christianity? They go to church and they put on the Christian lingo. They walk the walk and talk the talk, and or they talk the talk at least, but I don't know about walking the walk. And so in this sense, 
uh, we've got to be careful. Our faith must be sincere. It's not one thing to go into the house of God and, and say, yes, I love you, Lord, but then walk away and live in such a manner throughout the course of your days and weeks that is, a, is where in which you play the hypocrite. Don't be an actor. Don't have pretense in your heart, but rather let yourself be characterized by a sincere faith because that is the purpose of the commandment. It's love. That's what it is. The purpose of the commandment is love. That's what God wants. Too many people think they have to do this. They have to do that. And they even do it. You can do what's right and still do it for the wrong reasons. Your motives are, and, and, and why you do what you do is, is, um, is as more important than what you do. And I pray that you understand what I'm trying to say this morning. Paul, let me go again. I'm gonna, we're going to make some references to some scripture here. But in Philippians, Paul writes to the church at Philippi. And in chapter 1, he says these words. And this, chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment and is with judgment. See, love, your, your, your love abounds and grows in knowledge and understanding discernment, being able to judge what's right and wrong. Verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now listen to this, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, Paul says that you may be sincere and without offense, because when we are insincere, there is, that is an offense to God. That is the truth. That when we, when we play the fool, when we are, are, are playing the hypocrite, when we're acting and not living, we are, this is an offense to God. Again, Jesus, when he encountered hypocrisy, this was where we saw him in his most um, uh, anger, his righteous anger being manifest. And so it's important to take notice of this this morning. I think it's, and again, I want to illustrate that even in the Old Testament. Go, let's go to the book of Joshua. And I want to read from Joshua chapter 24. At the end of Joshua's, toward the end of Joshua's life, he talks to the children of Israel and he addresses them. And now here's a people that have been serving the Lord, but they're also been uh, uh, up to other things as well in terms of idolatry. But in chapter 24, verse 14, Joshua in his address to the Israelites says some interesting words and he's making an emphasis. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord. That's right. But he's, listen, serve him in sincerity. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served at the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see what Joshua is saying to the children of Israel. They're saying, oh, yes, we love God. But at the same time, they're also involved in their idolatrous practices. And so he's saying to them, listen, don't you understand what God is looking for? 
you can't serve two masters. And so he says, if you're going, if it seems evil for you this day to serve the Lord in sincerity and truth, then, then choose either serve God or serve the devil because you can't serve two masters. You either love one, hate the other. And in this instance, he's saying that God is looking for sincerity in their hearts. And if they lack that sincerity, then the result of that is they will begin to compromise. They will begin to serve the false gods of Egypt. And this is what happens to Christians in terms of worldliness and other things that can creep in uh, and, uh, and, and, and try and distort and corrupt our hearts. And the, the result is we don't have a sincere heart any longer. So again, the point is this, as we bring ourselves to a conclusion this morning, we have to strive to some degree to a sincerity or to have a sincere heart. Now, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, whether we're in the faith. And so I'm not talking about a deep interest, self-introspect, you know, but, we, but the Bible does call us to self-examine. And again, not in an unhealthy manner but under the light of God's word, under the light of the spirit of God, who will convict us of sin. And so as we are open to God and honest before the Lord, then the God can begin to show us uh, and his light, the day, you know, the sun rays, the sunlight can shine into our hearts and expose things that sometimes we didn't even know were there. But God is dealing with us because he wants to purify our hearts. And so we have to strive for sincerity as well and, uh, and draw near to God with a sincere heart. This is important. And so what I have learned over the years is that God exposes our hearts. He does. Sometimes we, we, just, we, we, we go on for a certain period of time and we enter into various trials and temptations and, and, uh, and our response to these things expose our hearts. And you know what's lacking so often? our own sincerity of heart. We think we're sincere, <laughs> but we're, sometimes we're not as sincere as we think. But God humbles us. God deals with us according to his grace and in order to produce this sincerity of heart. And so I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts. What is a good indicator of a sincere heart towards God this morning? What is a good indicator? How can we measure this? How can we look at this and, uh, and say, okay, I, I'm, you know, not that I can, we've, our hearts are perfect, but are blameless before the Lord. I'm sincere, genuinely. I, I, I want to be sincere. Well, there's two aspects that, I, that, that stand out in the most in Scripture. And they're highlighted firstly by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Peter writes, and he says these words in verse 22. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, Peter is identifying two key aspects of sincerity. He says, since you have purified your souls in one obeying the truth through the spirit 
obey obedience to god to obey is better than sacrifice that's what the scripture says obedience is what god is looking for he's not looking for the words of love that we speak as as important as they are but actions always speak louder than words and so it is obedience you have purified your hearts by obeying the truth obedience but then there's a second aspect and he says the, the second indicator is sincere love for the brethren. Sincere love for the brethren. Now, this is, this is critical because let's be honest again. The brethren, we are the family of God. And we are called to have a sincere love of the brethren. And where that is lacking, where there is a sincere love for the brethren lacking, then there is a sincere love for God lacking. This is how we can see this in the scripture. And I'll, I'll illustrate this and prove this further. But this is why as a Christian, we become Christians. And, you know, part of becoming a Christian is now all of a sudden you have to, you have to identify with people that you may not have identified before you were saved, that you couldn't, you know, that you disliked, that you didn't have time for. And now we're in the family of God and we are to love the brethren with a sincere love. See, it's so easy to feign love, to pretend to have pretense, to look like we care. And, and again, uh, we can, again, play the role. We can play act. We can be the hypocrite. Or we can, as the scripture says, have sincere love. And when our hearts are purified, when our hearts are becoming sincere before the Lord, the two identifying characteristics will be obedience to the truth and love for the brethren. Let me illustrate it further. Go to First John. Chapter one, uh, First John chapter two, verse number uh, three. Now John is talking about a test, and he says, "Well, if you want to test yourself as to uh, whether you truly know the Lord and are, are, are walking worthy before Him, he says, by this, listen, verse three. Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments, obedience." He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. They're playing the hypocrite. They're insincere. And the truth is not in them. That's what John says. And in verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. You see, one of the qualifying factors is that, uh, that, that we have a desire to obey God. doesn't mean that we're perfect. doesn't mean that we don't fail. doesn't mean that we don't sin. It means that now we are setting our heart to be sincere, to do what's right, to obey the Lord because we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome because we love him. Now let's go to first John chapter four, verse seven. So we've identified the issue of obeying the truth. Okay. Now look at chapter four. John addresses the second aspect and that is our sincere love for the brethren. So verse seven of chapter four, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. So think about that. I mean, they're, they're very potent words. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so the exhortation is to, to love one another, love the brethren. 
Because for the one who's born of God, for the one who has experienced God's love themselves, how can we not love others? If God loved us when we were so unworthy and did not deserve, we are called to love. We are commanded to love. You know, let me say this. We're not called to like everybody because, you know, let's be honest. There are people that can get on our nerves. There are people that can rub us up the wrong way. But does that mean that we have some excuse not to love them? We might not like something about them and they might not like something about us, but that doesn't get in the way. We are still called to love them. And this is what love is. And if we know God and we know God's love towards us, well, one of the things you learn as a Christian is, you know what? I don't deserve God's love. And as I, the more I serve him, the less I deserve it. And he loves me because of he loved, I love him because he first loved me. So how can I not love the brethren? Go to verse 20 of chapter 4. Uh, uh, John goes further. He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. You can't hate the brethren. It's incompatible with the love of God. He, you're a liar. You're pretense. You're a hypocrite. That's what Paul, uh, John is saying. And then he says in verse, uh, uh, let it be read it. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he sees, how can he love God whom he has not seen? This is the rationale. Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And he will go on to say, if you hate, you're a murderer. I mean, these are the, Jesus said, if you hate, you're a murderer. You see, we cannot, Christians, we don't hate. It is incompatible. We can hate evil. We can hate the things people do and, and in that sense. But you see, um, we are to, to love with the love of God in the same manner that God has loved us. And that will always, the sincerity of heart will always manifest in love for God and love for people. And so I pray that we begin to identify here a genuineness of faith, a sincerity of heart. And I want to read one last scripture if I can. I've read a few, but I want to read last one last one. It's in first Peter chapter one, verse six. Peter writes, and he says, in this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. And so here it is. When we, when we go through trials and tribulations, when we go through various trials and we are grieved by circumstances in life, we could be hurt even. And been wrong. People can wrong you, sin against you. And yet we are still called to, to, uh, to, to love. We are still called to have a genuineness of faith. Though it is tested, it is much more precious than gold that perishes. And so God wants us to have a, a genuine faith or a sincere faith, as Paul would call it. And it must be characterized by sincerity. And as we conclude... Let us remember now the text that we read at the beginning, Paul's final words to the Ephesians. He said to them, 
grace be upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So, Lord, help us this morning to have a sincere heart. I pray that this text makes sense to us all. May God bless you this morning. Amen.